And so this parable reminds me of a friend. This guy's probably taught me more about prayer than anyone I know. And he's always asking this question. This guy's 30 years older than me too. And he's still asking the question, Lord, teach me how to pray. I still don't know how to pray. Lord, would you teach me? And so he had this massive discovery one day. I've shared this story before a long time ago. Uh, But he is a father of five. And you can imagine the chaos in the house as he's a traveling evangelist and preacher and uh, trying to prepare a sermon in his house with a whole bunch of kids knocking on the door and constantly pestering him, right? And so uh, his response, usually it's like this, you know, the door knocks and he's like, what do you want? Okay, yeah, fine, whatever, right? Uh, You know how it is as a parent. You just get annoyed after a while. And one of his kids, I think it was Ben, he goes and knocks on the door and his response was snarky and snappy. He's like, what do you want, Ben? And this response blew him away. Ben walked in and said, Dad, I don't need anything. I just want to be with you. And it just melted his heart. And in that moment, he was like, that's the secret to prayer. See, prayer is familial. It should be based on trust. And above all else, it's developing a relationship. And so Salt Church, what I want us to know this morning is we don't just go to God to get things. That's not the point of prayer. We go to God because we get God. And from God come all things in him and through him. Every good gift is from above. And so you guys are probably all really familiar uh, with the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, my main point is this, the Lord's Prayer teaches us what to pray. But these three parables on prayer teach us how to pray. And so today we're going to look at these three parables and we're going to ask the big question, how does Jesus want us to pray? And my first point is how do we pray with the right attitude? Uh, But before we jump in, I would love if you guys would join me in prayer. King Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these parables, Lord. And I pray as we dig into them, we dig deep, Lord, that we would find gold. Lord, that we could have these aha moments that prayer, maybe for the first time, would make sense. Lord, that we couldn't wait to get alone with you, to get down on our knees and to pray. That would be something we look forward to, that we would see you as a loving father, and we are just wanting to spend time with you, God. And so I pray you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, and that above all else, that Salt Church, we could be a house of prayer. God, that you would hear our prayers, that you would act on our prayers, and Lord, that your will would be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, so uh, the first parable we're going to look at is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, you guys are probably all familiar with this uh, parable, uh, but I want you to look at it through the lens of prayer. Let's look at their different prayers. All right, verse 9 of Luke 18 says this. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, basically being saying, I'm right with God because I'm a really good person, and these kind of people look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm awesome. You know, I'm thankful that I'm not like the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Lord, I fast twice a week. I'm only supposed to do it once a week, but I do it twice. I'm pretty righteous. And Lord, I give a tenth of all that I get. I'm very generous. 
But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said this, I tell you, the tax collector, that man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified or right with God. For all those who exalt themselves, brag about their good works, will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted into a relationship with God. So in this parable, Jesus is making a comparison. Uh, It's basically an attitude comparison. People who approach God with a smug, entitled, bragging attitude don't know how to pray. But people who approach God with humility, Jesus says, that's it. And what's shocking about this parable, in all the world, if you ask people, hey, who could I go to to learn how to pray? Most people are going to say, oh, go to the religious people. Surely the religious people know how to pray. And this is shocking because Jesus is actually, in this story, the religious person doesn't know how to pray. You know who does know how to pray, though? The tax collector. So this was like, you know, the marketing scheme of shock and awe, right? Because the tax collector in that day, it was worse than an IRS agent, all right? A lot of you guys in here probably don't like the IRS. Maybe you don't even believe they should exist, right? You're like, how did that amendment get snuck in? We shouldn't even be paying taxes, right? I don't know where you come from, but the IRS can be frustrating. But the IRS, the tax collectors back in this day, were even worse because Rome had conquered Israel. So it would actually be a lot like, imagine if China invaded the United States, and they ran the IRS, and China said to the IRS agents, hey, as long as you meet your quota, you can raise your salary to whatever you want. I, just, I don't even care, as long as I get what I want. So these tax collectors generally had nice houses. They were eating like kings, while the rest of the Israelites were living in poverty, small houses, and were hungry. Uh, but if you're a lot like me, if you got to set your own salary, I want you to think about that right now. If your boss came to you and was like, Hey, just set your salary. Name whatever you want. I'm guessing you, you'd probably set it high, right? You might be like this tax collector yourself, right? And Jesus here says, the tax collector knows how to pray. It's shocking. Not the religious why. His attitude. He knows he's unworthy. He knows he's a sinner. And what does he ask for? Mercy. Mercy is, God, don't give me what I deserve. I know I deserve your judgment. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Would you give me mercy? And he beat his breast. And in that culture, that was a sign of remorse. So prayer starts with this, church. This is our attitude. God, I'm not worthy of you even hearing me, let alone you answering me. And so simply the first thing I'm going to ask for is mercy. And the scripture over and over says, if we come to God with that attitude, I believe you're good and I'm asking for mercy. And we put our faith in Jesus. Something radically happens to us, church. We go from orphans to sinners to outcasts to sonship to regeneration to justification to being right with God and grafted into the family of God. And everything will change in your life in regards to prayer. And honestly, it's kind of funny once you become a Christian. It's funny how much you enjoy your life. You're just simply happy to be alive. You're happy to be forgiven. You're so glad that you're reconciled to God and you have this deep peace in your life because you know you don't deserve mercy, but you got it. See, church, when we have faith in Jesus, we realize that the greatest gift that the universe has to offer, a relationship with God, is now given to us. And our attitude completely changes. We stop bragging about our good works and what God owes us. 
And we start seeking this amazing God and we enjoy his presence. And we want to know what his will is. If he's so good to us, what does he want to do in this world? And so church, I'm convinced of this. We can only begin to pray God's will when we realize we are children of God, righteous and holy. Which leads to my next point on prayer and the next parable. How do we become like children again? Let's look at Luke 11, 5 through 13. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within his house. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence or boldness or relentlessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And what father among you, if his son asks for a fish instead of a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, now we're so far removed from a culture of uh, ancient Near East before electricity. And so I'm going to give you guys just a little context of how this would be way more annoying back then than it is today. Uh, I was doing some research on this. Did you guys know that the average time it took to lock your house back then was about 10 minutes? Think about that. You have to get this giant wooden beam, and then you'd have to put these braces next to the door, and you'd have to have two people lift it up, and you would set it in. And so once that was set, like you didn't want to undo that. Take it off, put it back on. I'm talking like 20 minutes, right? Really annoying to have to unlock your door in the middle of the night. Now, the word midnight, we like don't even understand that because we have electricity. But midnight was literally the middle of the eight-hour darkness period. It was four hours into the darkness, okay? So people are literally fast asleep. And without electricity, you're like, I don't know, what do you do? Find the lantern or the candle tripping over everything? It'd be very inconvenient, right? Now, notice it says he's sharing a bed with his kids. Uh, So almost all houses back then were like a one-bedroom studio-style apartment. Everyone would just sleep in the living room. And so picture the scene. There's this family. They've been asleep for a long time, no electricity. The door is locked, and the kids are asleep, and they just hear this pounding on the door over and over and over, right? Now, if I'm this guy and my kids are all asleep and someone pounds on the door... Uh, You should see me and my wife. We're like, shh, no, no, don't, shh, what are you doing? Uh, You can't wake them up. Did you know if like a little kid under the age of five wakes up, you know, past midnight, uh, they literally act like terrorists. Uh, They act like rabid chimps. I've seen this. They might bite you. Uh, They might destroy the house. They have these meltdowns. They attack each other. It's crazy, guys. It's violent. It's actually scary as a parent. So you're like, stay asleep. So if I'm this guy, I'm running to the door, telling him to shush. Uh, Another thing I noticed about this, if you knock on a door one time, you're probably not going to answer, right? For me, I'm like, my kid probably fell out of bed, the dog fell, um, you know, something fell. 
But if you're sitting there knocking like a hundred times, I'm going to go answer the door. And what's crazy about this is Jesus is saying, keep knocking. Don't just knock one time. And for us, this is hard because this friend seems rude to us, right? Like when you talk to all other religions and they hear about how Christians pray, they're like, that's so rude. You can't talk to God like that. I remember uh, trying to have a conversation with my dentist growing up, and uh, he was part of this religious cult. He's a dentist. You can guess what cult that is. I feel like they all are dentists. But anyways, um, really nice guy. And I told him about prayer and how I pray. And he was mad, like literally mad. He said, you can't pray like that. You can't talk to God like that. That's rude. And I was like, I can talk to God like that. We're close. He's actually my dad, and we have this ongoing conversation. See, what separates Christianity from all other religions is Jesus is saying to pray with this Greek word called anadia, which is often translated as persistence, shamelessness, or impudence. But I think the best interpretation of this for my studying is the word boldness. And we see Paul later tells us to pray with confidence and boldness. And I think this parable is hard because it goes against all other religions, and I think it also goes against common sense. I want you guys to imagine for a second. You work for the city of Greeley, uh, you work for the university, and you have the mayor's number, you know where he lives, or you have the university president, the head coach, the chief of police, whatever it is. You have this person's number, and you know where they live. Imagine you just start blowing his phone up at two in the morning, he doesn't text you back, you go to his house and just start pounding on the door, He answers, and you're like, I need some bread. I got these friends over. We're throwing a party. Do you have some bread? Like, you might get fired because of how rude that is, right? But Jesus here is saying, come to me boldly for anything. See, most people think prayer should be polite. But Jesus says it should be bold. Now, this parable starts out with this friend relationship, but it starts to shift And what Jesus is getting at towards the end of the parable is that prayer should look like a relationship between a parent and a kid. Now, let me explain. My kids pester me all day for things, right? And usually wear me down, and sometimes I just give in. And sometimes they just melt my heart, right? And I just give in, and I love them. And if you're a parent, you can get super annoyed by this, right? You're like, I said no, respect my boundaries. No means no, right? Uh, But you know how kids are. They wait. They wait for the right moment. They're crafty, right? Maybe they'll go ask my wife, uh, get her to give in, right? They're relentless. But the thing that Jesus is getting after is they are bold. And I used to think, like, my kid's attitude of saying, you know, uh, responding to my no was bad. Like, dang, these kids need to obey. Maybe I need to discipline them. They just won't take no for an answer. But now, because of this parable... I watch my kids and how they try to get things for me, and I'm like, this is awesome. They know how to get things for me because they know I love them so much. And this is what prayer should look like. And guys, I did this with my parents when I was a kid. I was thinking about this and remembering this time. I have this funny story. Uh, If you didn't know this about me, one of my favorite hobbies was video games. Uh, not, Not as much like Xbox when I was little, but PC. I had a gaming computer. All right, and this was back in the day when you had dial-up internet. You guys remember that? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Anyways, you would plug it into a phone line. Most of you are like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. 
Uh, it was this thing where you would talk on, the, on a phone and not a cell phone. It was crazy. But you would plug your internet into that, and it would make this crazy noise like you're getting like, connected to a spaceship. Do you guys remember that? I was like, and then, and then you were in. And then what was crazy is nobody could call your house because you're on the internet, right? Like, it was great. Nobody could get a hold of you. And so uh, I played strategy games, and those were fine with dial-up internet. But then I got into this game called Return to Castle Wolfenstein. It was called a, a first-person shooter. And the thing about slow internet is, like, I would, like, have this World War II gun, and I'd, like, shoot at this Nazi, and then the bullet would come out, like, three seconds later. And so you would always miss, right? And then if you were on someone's team and you were lagging, they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, all the comments would be like, this stupid lagger, like, he's going to ruin this entire team uh, it was terrible, right? It was like when you were a little kid and you were picking teammates, right? You're the captain and there's one person left and it's John Randall and you're playing basketball. And you're like, man, John Randall, great swimmer, basketball, not so much, right? My team's probably done, right? And so what do I do? I take, I take this, you know, this shame to my mom. And I'm like, mom, keep causing my team to lose. I'm getting pwned all the time. Like, I'm, I'm honestly feeling shame, Mom. Like, I can't make online friends. They make fun of me. So, Mom, I think we should try to get high-speed internet. And I lived in rural Wyoming. My mom's like, sorry, you can't get high-speed internet in Wyoming. It's going to be years until this happens. I was like, Mom, how do the schools have it? I think they use that, like, wyoming.com thing. I think you should try to contact them and see if we can get it. And she's like, yeah, we can. It's it's $170 a month, though. And I'm like, Mom, honestly, that's not that bad. And this was a long time ago. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, Dad, can we get this? And my dad's like, no, son, you should go outside and play like kids do. You know, I'm like, all right, can't go to my dad. Need to go to my mom, right? And I'm like, Mom, but think about this. Think how many phone calls you've been missing because of me gaming. This will free up the phone line. And, Mom, honestly, like, the Internet's the future. This is how I write papers in school. I'm going to be a better student. Mom, I really think you should consider this. I think it will be worth it. And you guys want to know something crazy? I was like one of the very first people in the town of Lander, Wyoming, to get high-speed internet. (laughs) Because my mom loves me so much. And here's the reality. I share that because God wants that kind of relationship with us. Not in like a manipulative and selfish way, but that we go to God because we know he loves us so much. And we can come to him and say, Lord, we need your spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need revival. Will you care for our needs? Will you build your church? There are people dying, Lord. Will you come to us? And I believe it warms God's heart when we pray like this. Why? A child has relentless boldness because they trust their parents are going to hear and then they're going to act. And I think what Jesus wants us to understand about prayer is guys, we have a loving and faithful father and we should come to him with relentless boldness because we trust our heavenly father is going to hear us and he will act. And the reality is my kids probably won't go to you guys with this anadea, with this boldness. They're not gonna go to strangers, police officers, government officials. Kids are only gonna have this anadea, this boldness, relentless pursuit with their parents. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand. If you don't call God Father, you don't call Jesus your big brother, you don't know the Holy Spirit and think God is some distant, 
unapproachable force, you're not going to pray like this. You won't pray like you have the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know, my children, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I've given you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can triumph over death with this message, church. Do you realize the power that you have? And then Jesus says, parents on earth are terrible compared to our heavenly father who is holy, loving, compassionate. And think about it. If I know how to give good gifts to my kids and I'm extremely flawed, how much more will God give good gifts to us if we start to pray like this? And it reminds me of Matthew 18, 3 that says this. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I love what my wife said about this verse. She said, God doesn't want us to be foolish like children, but trusting like children and dependent and bold with our parents. And so recap, how do we pray? Relentless, bold, continual, and specific. And we remind God of his word. And guys, I learned the power of prayer early on when I became a born-again Christian because I came to faith and my brother and sister uh, were still living in the ways of the world. And guys, I was wrecked. Imagine you love your brother and sister. You know the grace of God and your siblings don't. Some of you in here might know that pain. And I want to say, I'm sorry. And I want to say, don't lose heart. Keep praying. And so what I did is I, I felt like I went down on my knees, I got before the throne of God, and I grabbed the horns of the altar, and I just prayed, and I held God to his word. And I was like, God, you said uh, to put the blood of the lamb over the home, and so God, I believe it's your desire to save not just me, but families. Lord, will you do it? Save my family, forgive them. Guys, I just was relentless. I kept praying until they came to faith. And God brought this crazy series of events where both my brother and sister were baptized and born again. And then I started to pray for my parents. They were in this church uh, that like, didn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, they didn't believe in all the theology of the Bible. And so I prayed for them. And through a crazy series of events, they're in this church that's so full of life. And even in their old age, they're like Bill here. They're more alive than ever. Um. And I want to just share this about prayer, too. You know, part of my journey uh, was I had the idol of relationships um, throughout my life. It was like I had to have a girlfriend to feel valuable. My value would come from having uh, a girlfriend. And so I remember about the age of 25, 26, God put on my heart and just said, hey, I think you should try to be content and single. And that, like, freaked me out, right? And I was like, all right, I'm going to try to be content and single. I don't even know if that's possible, but I'm going to try, okay? And you know what was crazy through this season of learning to pray and talk to God? Uh, there was this moment, I still remember it, uh, driving home from work, and the sun was setting, and I was just talking to the Lord, listening to worship music, and I remember for the first time just being like, Lord, I'm content. This is amazing. You are better than anything, and my value is in you and you alone, God. And I felt like in that moment, God was like, hey, now that you're content, uh, you could actually probably get married because you're not going to try to use this person. You will love them and serve them. And so I sense God saying, I want you to learn how to pray for your spouse. And so guys, I committed to praying almost every morning before the sun got up. 
I would go for this prayer walk. I lived out in the country, still remember the stars before the sun comes up, kind of an annoying time to get up, but just felt so close to God. And, and this is what I prayed. I said, God, first, will you teach me how to pray? This is what the disciples asked Jesus. Lord, will you teach me how to pray? And he will. Next, I prayed this, Lord, will you make me into somebody worth marrying? Will you sanctify me so I can actually be a good spouse? Because I don't think God wants to give me that if I'm just going to wreck that marriage. And then the next prayer was this, Lord, if there's any sin in my life that might be hindering my prayers or blocking the blessing of marriage, will you search my heart, God? I want to repent because I want my prayers to be answered. And then what was fun, I just really started to cry out to God and hold fast to his word. And it just became like a conversation. I was like, God, you said it's not good for man to be alone. You said it's good to leave your father and mother and, and get married and be fruitful and multiply. God, you've given me this desire, uh, and, I, and I'm not married. So, Lord, why would you do this? Will you please do this? And then specifically, I just started to talk to God and just say, Lord, all these Christian ladies are your daughters. That's how I'm going to see it, God. And so would you gift me, like your word says, a gift from the Lord for a good wife? God, I promise I'll be the best husband that I, can be, that I can be. And then I also prayed specifically, uh, God, I'm done looking for women. I've tried to have these relationships in the past, and I'm just not good at looking. All right, I always got into trouble. They were no good. And so I'm like, God, you find me a spouse. I'm not going to find when you do it. And my fleece was kind of like Gideon. I was like, Lord, I'll know it's from you if a Christian friend introduces me to somebody. All right, I'm done looking. That's the only time I'll ever even entertain a conversation of going on a date. And so I prayed for like a year. It was crazy, every morning. And then one of the coolest things happened, I'm at football practice, coaching, and this guy that I work with is a Christian guy named Bo. And he's like, Keith, you should come to our youth group. There's this really pretty girl named Beth. She loves Jesus. I honestly think you guys would get along great. And right in that moment, my heart just left. I was like, I bet she's the one. I mean, I've been literally praying for a year. And when I met her, I knew she was the one. I didn't tell her that because that's creepy, right? But like in my heart, I knew that she was the one. And church, I share all this because this is the power of prayer. I became specific, relentless, trusted God over a long period of time. And I took this model into church planting. I was just thinking about this. I met with a group of friends every Wednesday at noon for one hour to pray. And we did this for over a year in Fort Collins. And we prayed for a staff team. We prayed for all the funding that takes place to plant a church. Uh, we prayed for a house to move in through, into uh, all these specifics. And now I'm looking back and I'm like, man, God literally answered all of these prayers, all those hours of prayers, and God did it all. Now you might look at this and say, oh, so prayer is a formula. If I just do what Keith did, then I, I can get those things too. And prayer is not a formula. You can't just do what I did. But prayer is a relationship. It's where you learn to be his beloved son or daughter. And I'm going to get practical now. Uh, this is like always the hardest question. If I asked you how your prayer life is, you probably like look down and you're like, man, honestly, I spend way more time on social media. I uh, play more video games and I watch TV way more than I pray, right? And I'm not here to shame you, right? Because Jesus actually doesn't shame us uh, in, these, in these parables. What we see in these parables is I think he tries to encourage our hearts. 
He tries to blow us away with his goodness to encourage us to not lose heart in prayer. Which leads to my third point, how to not lose heart in prayer. Let's look at the next parable in Luke 18. Let's look at verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, man, I don't really fear God. I don't even respect man. Yet because this widow just keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Or will he find a people that really take hold of prayer and don't lose heart? And so this is a comparison parable. Uh, I think a lot of people read this wrong and they say, oh man, okay, we read this parable and what we see is God is cold, he's distant, he needs to be bribed, and he needs to be annoyed to get anything done. And that's not the point. The point is this. In this world right now, a lot of judges are corrupt, right? Let's just be honest. And if you're poor, you can't bribe a judge. That's just the reality. But what you can do as a poor person is you can annoy a corrupt judge so much, and he'll probably relent just because he's so annoyed with you and wants you to stop. That's how the world works. And Jesus is saying, don't lose heart because God is not distant. He's not corrupt. He's not annoyed with us. So imagine if we come to God continually, what we will get from him. Okay, so I think the first reason that we lose heart in prayer and we give up on prayer and prayer is just like a thing we do before dinner is we forget that God is a good father. We forget he's good. I read the scientific study this week that said, uh, the older you get, the more cynical you get and the less friendships that you have. And you become a grumpy old man or the female equivalent known as a Karen, right? Uh, we just see this in our lives, right? We just get grumpy and cynical the older we get. And I think why is what happens is life just beats you down. Uh, your parents will eventually let you down. You realize they aren't always emotionally safe. Uh, you're, they're not always available. They're not always accessible. And sometimes parents, as good as they are, are just selfish. Uh, next, you get a job, and your boss is just hard to work with. You don't always get what you want. They don't always have your best interests in mind. And then you ask God for things, and it just seems like nothing happens. And it becomes hard, and life beats you up, and life gets really hard, and bad things happen. And you just assume this. God is like everyone else. Either he doesn't listen to me, or maybe he doesn't like me. And see, our biggest problem when it comes to, to prayer, the biggest lie that's facing all of us is God doesn't hear me. He must not hear me. So does God hear us? That's the big question. Does God really hear us? And I would say yes, church. Reason? God is such a good father that he sent Jesus his son. Now that might seem like a cliche answer, and so I'm going to explain uh, what I mean. 
Lost my place here. Hold on. Here we go. Okay, so I want you guys to think about the Old Testament. Prayer still existed, right? And Jesus was still the Son of God. But Jesus, the Son of God, was not yet a man. So the incarnation is the story that the Son of God became a Son of Man like us. And what that means is he locks hands with deity, and he locks hands with us, humanity. And he creates this bridge of life and prayer. It's like a direct line of prayer to the Father. See, because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, because Jesus forgave us, God will always hear us. Think about it like this. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the perfect and obedient son. But what did he get for his obedience? How did his life on earth end? Did he get glory and honor and praise? What did he get? He was abandoned by his friends. He was scourged. He was rejected. He had a crown of thorns, and then he was placed on a cross, nailed to a cross, suffocating, naked and ashamed before everybody. But he didn't embrace the shame. But he cried out to God in that moment. It was one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. He's quoting the Psalms, and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? I think in essence what he's saying is, God, do you hear me? Do you see this? Do you hear me? And there was complete silence. Nothing happened. One of the commentators said this, that Jesus got the scorpion, the gift of the scorpion, so we can get the gift of eternal life. Because Jesus shed his blood for us on the cross, rose from the grave as the man and the God-man, locking us to God, he hears all of our prayers. Because now the Spirit of God, because we're forgiven, dwells in us. We are the house of God. His spirit is now in us. He's the hope of glory. And I love what scripture says. It says, Jesus now lives to intercede for us. Now, you might not even understand that. What does that mean? Jesus faithfully lives to intercede for us. And I think what it means, my best picture is this, that he hears everything. He knows everything. He's on this throne before the judge of the universe, before all the universe, and he sees us, his kids. And he says, I love them. I forgave them. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. I shed my blood for them, God. They're forgiven. And now we can hear them. Now we can bless them. Now we can give them the spirit without measure. And so Jesus hears all of our prayers, and he's moving everything towards our final redemption as all creation groans for the redemption that's going to come to us. And this is why Paul says in Hebrews, well, actually, Paul probably didn't write Hebrews, so never mind. Hebrews says this, uh, 4.16, it says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So church, don't lose heart, because we can confidently come before Christ, and he is always interceding, and he will work all things towards your final redemption. And the proof that he will hear you is he's interceding with the scars on his hands and feet. Proof that he loves. Proof that he hears.
Now, church, I think the last reason we lose heart, this is my last point, is because we don't know what to do with unanswered prayer. We don't know what to do with it. Now, I was thinking about uh, when my little kids, when they don't get their way, how they respond, right? Uh, I remember my, my oldest kid when she was about two, and I turned a fan on, and she was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I just really want to put my hand in that fan. And so she kept walking over, and I like, you know, it was like a lineman. I was just like pushing her back. Nope, nope, nope. And she just kept coming back. Finally, after like the fourth time, she just threw a big fit and fell on the ground and started screaming, right? And I was like, kid, I love you. I'm not going to let you have that. And when you compare us to God, uh, I think we're a lot like a two-year-old toddler. And uh, God is like this all-knowing father. And the requests that he gets from us, he's like... (laughs) Man, I love you, but if I gave that to you, it would literally kill you, right? Um, here's some of the requests my kids give me. Dad, I really want a pet gorilla. Could you get that for me? Yeah, sure, okay. No, you would die. Like, that wouldn't be good. Um, one, of my, one of my daughters said, Dad, can I marry Aaron? That's her cousin. I'm like, no, we don't live in the South, honey. Like, we can't do that here, okay? Um, another request was, Dad, can we live in the tent and just camp forever? And I'm like, hey, some people do that, but I just want a better future for you, okay? I know you don't understand now, but just trust me, okay? So often I think we say, God, if you give me more money, everything will be okay. But as a parent, if I gave my seven-year-old all the money I have, like, would it really help them? No, it would probably make them selfish and a jerk. They'd be mean to their sisters. They'd be entitled. Like, it wouldn't make them more like Jesus, right? And see, this is why we can't look at God like a genie. Unfortunately, we do. We look at God like a genie and we say, hey, here's my request. You uh, better give it to us, right? But he's a father. Think about it like that. He's a father and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. So he's not going to give you the things that you aren't ready for. My daughter's not ready for money or a car, right? And he's also not going to give you things that will hurt you. He might have a special plan just for you. So church, when God says no to your prayer, I want you to hear me. It's because he loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. He, he isn't saying no because he didn't hear you. He isn't saying no because he dislikes you. He's saying no because he loves you. Don't lose heart. And I love what the book of James says. It says, don't pray with selfish ambition, right? We've all done that. How many of you guys have just prayed, Lord, let me win the lottery. Man, I see that 1.2 billion in Colorado. Honestly, God, if you gave that to me, I'd help the church. I'd give, you know, I would tithe. God, I would, I would buy John a new car, Chris a new car. Like, just give me the money, Lord, right? We've all prayed that. And I think when we pray that, uh, according to this parable, I think the, the angels, when they hear that kind of prayer, they're like, are you serious? Like you're going to ask for money when you could have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The angels are like, man, God is literally offering them like a Lamborghini or like a brand new one-ton truck. And they're praying for a 27-year-old Dodge Caravan. Like these humans have hangups. Like why do they pray like this? And I love what Jesus said, that God longs to give us the Holy Spirit so we can have his presence, so we can have his power, so we can live the blessed life and have the good stuff of reconciled relationships, of victory over sin, to be conformed into the image of Christ, to make disciples and build the church. That's what we should pray for, church. 
And I love what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. It says in the book of Acts that the apostles were devoted to prayer. I wonder what that looked like. They were devoted to prayer. And sadly, I kind of look at the church in America today, and I'm like, what are we devoted to? Here's some things I see. Money, entertainment, success. I think churches uh, can have an unhealthy focus, not a healthy, an unhealthy focus on strategy, music, interior design, websites, and we say, this is, this is probably what's going to grow the church. And all those things I just said, we should steward and use. They are amazing tools that God gave us, and they will help. But at the core, church, at the core of everything we do, we are to be a house of prayer where we learn to be God's kids. Think about how the church was birthed. I don't ever see this strategy anymore. All right, we're going to pray for 10 days, all right? And then we're going to do a three-minute sermon. And then what happened, though? 3,000 people came to faith, right? That happened at Pentecost. This church that my, my parents go to, it's this little church in rural Wyoming, and it's got hundreds and hundreds of people. You can't even park anywhere anymore. It's packed. And I asked, like, what's happening at that church? And you know what the pastor said? Man, we had this 21 days of prayer and fasting. It was crazy. And everything changed. And church, we want to be a house of prayer. And so my final application is, yes, learn to pray alone. Learn to take hold of the throne of God. But learn to pray in a group. Uh, I have a slide up. Here's some of the prayer meetings that we've started. Um, Me and Chris have started this prayer meeting. Uh, It's Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Take a picture of this. All right, I don't know if this slide is available, Riley or Chris, maybe. Okay. Anyways, get a hold of me or Chris, okay? And we're just going to pray for a half hour to an hour and really just pray specifically for your families, for lost people, for the city of Greeley to bring all these requests to God. Now, you might say, sounds like a waste of time, but hey, come try it out. And I guarantee uh, you'll see more happen in a weekly prayer meeting uh, than anything else. Uh, The next prayer meeting, uh, I'm just going to highlight Jensen and Jackson. This has been crazy, you guys. Uh, I've tried to get people to join prayer meetings. It's hard, not going to lie, okay? Most people are like, that sounds boring. I'm not going to do that. But Jensen and Jackson started a prayer meeting at 5 a.m., and they have way more people than me and Chris's group. I don't know how that happened. Um, But I've been joining their prayer group. And guys, they're praying every morning at 5 a.m. until uh, the college ministry launch. And they're just going before the throne of God, praying for revival. And it's been encouraging. It's been amazing. Uh, Erica one time got there, you know, woke up at 4.30, and she was there, and we're all tired, and she's praying, and she's like, man, honestly, I thought this was really hard to get up at 4.30 a.m. And then I thought about the apostles, how they were like tortured, persecuted, (laughs) killed for their faith. And she's like, honestly, if this is the hardest thing in my day to wake up at 4.30, like my life is pretty good. So I'm just thankful to be here. I was like, amen, Erica, thank you. That was great to hear, right? So she's been an inspiration to me. Um, but contact Jackson or Jensen. Um, I think it goes till August 25th. I could be wrong sometime around then. But, uh, and then anyways, we always pray here, led by John, at 8.30 a.m. here on Sunday mornings. We'll pray for the gathering, any specific prayer requests. But guys, we really want to take a prayer serious. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you uh, for these parables. And Lord, uh, forgive us. I believe I'm the first to admit, Lord, uh, I don't pray as I should. I don't take hold of this gift of prayer that we get to intercede for the world, Lord, where we can look at Greeley and say, Lord, just like Abraham, if there are just, uh, you know, 10 righteous people, would you have mercy on this city? And so, Lord, I pray that you teach all of us to pray. And Lord, uh, forgive us for having a bad attitude with prayer. Lord, uh, going to a prayer meeting or praying just, I know for a lot of us, just seems like a really silly religious routine. And so I want to pray that you give us a new spirit, God, where we believe in prayer, we're dependent on you, and that we could have this anadia, this relentless, continual boldness over time. And Lord, we could see mountains moved uh, because of prayer. Bless Salt Church. Let us become a house of prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.